welcome to the Inspiring Capital Podcast. This is the show for the purpose-driven person who isn't afraid to have the difficult conversations about the challenges and opportunities of having a positive impact in their personal lives and at work. There's a lot to talk about around impact and purpose these days, and we feel and hear from our community a need for more honest and pragmatic conversations about the complexities of social and environmental change. Today, I'm sitting down with Anu Gupta, founder and CEO of Be More, to have one of those conversations. Be More is a social enterprise that employs proven in-person and online training programs to eradicate bias in key industries to save lives, improve top-line performance, and reduce billions of dollars of wasted cost. Anu is a licensed attorney, an academic researcher, and a mindfulness expert. Prior to founding Be More, Anu worked with various social enterprises and research institutes globally on improving health and social outcomes for neglected populations. He's trained over 3,000 professionals in hacking bias, and I'm excited to jump into what that means. I'm Bernadette Hopin, Community and Brand Manager at Inspiring Capital, and it's time to plug in and let's dive right into the struggle. So I'd like to say hello to Anu. Thank you for joining us for our second podcast episode. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a privilege. We're excited to talk more about diversity and inclusion and hacking bias and what that means. And I think the best place to start our conversation is with Be More. Uh, so I will just talk a little bit about Be More and what yeah. it is and what it does and how it came to be. Uh, so Be More has been a dream of mine that I've been, I was living as a social, entre- as a social entrepreneur for years. Um, we live in a society where bias is one of those conversations, one of those phenomenons even. It's not just a conversation, it's an act. It's something we feel, we hear, we smell, we embody, we live through. And it's really hard to talk about. Yeah. The second we mention the word bias, there's just so much shame and there's so much fear and blame and guilt and a whole host of afflictive emotions that quickly arise. And for me, from a very young age, I immigrated to the U.S. and I was very focused on the sciences and the evidence behind bias. And I was like, well, there is causes of bias. And also there are solutions to understanding bias and transforming it. So Be More is really just that. It's really about understanding the nature of bias. Mm. And when I say bias, I really mean unconscious bias or implicit bias, which are these ingrained habits of thoughts that lead to errors in how we perceive, reason, remember, and make decisions. This is really important within healthcare, within the legal industry, within the corporate sector, within technology, because not only does it affect how we hire, retain, promote, compensate, terminate employees, and also just workplace dynamics that exist, but also how we support and create products and services that impact the world. Think about the numerous algorithms that are being created by a whole host of tech companies and how our implicit associations, implicit biases can translate into that and impact hundreds of millions of lives simultaneously. In healthcare, how just having those stereotypes and those associations can really end up affecting the quality of care patients receive. For example, darker skin patients routinely receive lower dosages of pain medication, you know, whether they're toddlers to senior citizens, wow. just because there's an implicit association that darker mm-hmm. skin can withstand more pain. Now that's not true, but it's an association. Right. And 
What's really interesting is that it's not just amongst white people or men when it comes to gender bias or straight people when it comes to sexual orientation bias. It's actually a majority of all of us. Right, so everyone, everyone has biases. Even African Americans may have implicit bias towards mm-hmm. other African Americans. So understanding unconscious bias is so important because it's not the same as conscious bias. It's not the same as you know what we're used to thinking about as racism or sexism or homophobia, because it's oftentimes even within the consciousness of people that are egalitarian and hold those cherished values of equality and equity and truly, you know, wanting human flourishing for everybody. Yeah, so uh, all very important and, and thoughtful work and thank you for clarifying the difference between conscious and unconscious bias because um, I think that's important to, to lay the groundwork of um, understanding what that means. So on your website, <laughs> Be More, focuses on, quote, eradicating biases in key industries to save lives. So the skeptic in me naturally wants to say, wow, that's a a really bold claim. How does education result in saving lives? So if you could talk a little more to that, and is there an example of um, how Be More's work has directly resulted in someone's life being saved? Absolutely. I mean, I'll give you two examples from two different industries, but I want us to take a step back and really talk about the first end of what we're trying to do, which is really to unleash human potential. Hmm. So I really think of bias as an obstacle to really enabling what we as human beings are able to do and able to accomplish, both with ourselves, but also with our teams and the organizations that we're a part of. Um, so when it comes to this incredible question about saving lives, and you know, I'm totally there with you. Before I started this war 10 years ago, I was a skeptic myself. I was just, it's so easy to just resort to cynicism around these issues, particularly living in the time right now with the Me Too movement, with right. so many other social justice um, activ- activism just happening across the world. But, you know, deeper down, there are these cherished values that we all hold, which are also true. So in terms of saving lives, so I spoke to the, the um, example of medicine, right? right? So... Mm-hmm. There have been uh, doctors and physicians that we've trained within health systems who didn't realize that they had certain stereotypes, certain associations towards people who looked a certain way. And I'll give you an example. There's a a large-bodied Latino person who walks into uh, an emergency room. There are all sorts of associations about this person's diet their physical regimen, their exercise regimen, and how those associations and those um, quick judgments are then going to resort to the type of diagnosis a doctor is going to make towards that patient. Right, right? so... And th- yeah. those are the treatment recommendations he or she is going to make towards this patient. Right. And then that's going to impact the way that person receives healthcare, but also then lives his life outside. Mm-hmm. And there are hundreds of examples like that where this person, let's say Ramon, then didn't get the type of care he received or because the doctor had certain associations with what his condition was, didn't ask the question around his diet. Maybe he's a vegetarian. Maybe he's, he may appear big body, but he's actually incredibly healthy and runs triathlons. There are possibilities, right? Because there is a bell cover right. in all of those things. And that's what uh, hacking bias is about. It's hacking those shortcuts 
yeah. that we take. Right. And this happens all the time with not just race and ethnicity, but also gender, with all other forms of um, identities we hold. So I want to ask you, um, so you mentioned that, you know, deep, deep down, there's this, this good that you're hopefully through this training able to tap into because people, if we are making sweeping statements, this is not the skeptic in me, that generally people do want to treat others well, right? They want to do the right thing. But earlier we were saying that everyone has this has biases and it's, that's another innate part of just being a human. So do you find that in your work there's does one outweigh the others? There does the good out, outweigh the the innate um, kind of negative biases. So if it is human nature, but you're also working to tap into the good part of human nature, just how does that relationship work? So it's so interesting that uh, the way I spoke to it just went into the binary that we're again also conditioned to fall into the good bad, mm-hmm. but actually implicit bias isn't innate. It's mm-hmm. not inherent. It is learned. It is ingrained. Okay. So part of the process around hacking it is to unlearn it. And you know, don't worry about it. that's basically the big misconception around this work is that it's just we just born with it. The that gives shame, me hope. Right, right. The shame that un- we carry with it that I was talking about is like, yeah. oh, it's just in me. I'm just a bad person. No, honey, you're not <laughs> a bad person. You know, this is learned. And right. the incredible thing around neuroscience today is that we have also mastered the science of understanding how behavior can be changed, how perceptions can be shifted over time. This is the work around neuroplasticity, that our capacity as human beings, we have the ability to rewire the brain. So begin to shift those stereotypical associations to really meet the values that we hold. Right, right, so that that leads to um an interesting question that I'd, I'd love your opinion on with all this work that you're doing and people are, are learning these biases and what are some factors that have been, have you seen are most impactful in prohibiting organizations from being diverse? So how are people learning these, these biases that you're trying to hack, that you're trying to unlearn? Well, you went to the root of one of the biggest challenges we have in bringing our work to organizations and corporations to hack bias, which is shame and fear. Hmm. So, you know, for the listeners out there, think about all the diversity trainings you've ever been to. And you all too, right? How many of them were comfortable, exciting? You know, as a lawyer, I can say that all the trainings I had done, I remember walking out of those rooms with my shoulders to my ears. Yeah, I'm shaking my head. I just realized that the listeners can't see that, but none. It was <laughs> super intense. Awkward and intense. And it was just like... You'd leave walking on eggshells, kind yeah, of. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so it really limits our full potential. Hmm. And when we're in that type of environment, we can't really learn. And that element, particularly shame, as Brene Brown really talks about it, she's mm-hmm. a scholar of the emotion shame, it prohibits and inhibits behavior change. So for us, it's to really take the shame out of it and really lead with the evidence that's out there around why is unconscious bias preventing organizations from unleashing their full potential. And it's not just around saving lives, it's also costs. So the healthcare example I used earlier, it costs our economy $310 billion a year. Now think about all the repeat visits, all the misdiagnoses, and how that impacts entire communities. 
gender, yes. 50% of Americans are, you know, women, right? 50% are men. And then all of them have tons of different identities, ethnic and racial diversity. 40% of our country is non-white. So how those little, little micro decisions that are being made then aggregate into these massive costs. Right. Oh. So I, I, I want to shift a little bit yeah. into talking about um, the workplace. And um, I think the healthcare is, that's such a tangible, real issue that I think is on everyone's mind right now. Um, but in the workplace, you know, you, our listeners, most of them are uh, business professionals. So diversity and inclusion has, you know, you hear that all the time at, at work. So those are the trainings, right, that, that the lawyers are, are, have to go to. It's, oh, we have to go to our biannual, you know, <laughs> diversity and inclusion training. There was a, a scandal in the DNI world uh, just a couple months ago. So in October of 2017, Apple's was their first VP of diversity inclusion that they hired, uh, Denise Young Smith. She said um, at a conference, and I'll, I'll quote her: "There can be 12 white, blue-eyed, blonde men in a room, and they're going to be diverse too because they're going to bring a different life experience and life perspective to the conversation." So after she said that, there was a lot of backlash, and she actually ended up leaving Apple after this uh, scandal. So what are your thoughts on cognitive diversity? So it's such an interesting quote, and I remember following this, and I think, again, we fall into these pits of either-ors, mm. right? It's both and. So of course there's cognitive diversity, of course there's artistic and creative diversity, but if you think about the history of the industry of inclusion and diversity, it really stems from the civil rights movement. So we're talking about the 1960s and the 1970s where women and non-white people were categorically removed from industry. They were thought of as inferior right, yeah. workers. They didn't have the labor capacity to be doctors or to be business professionals, to work at IBM or to work at you know, Procter & Gamble. So that history gets uprooted and it's understood as, oh, if we're gonna bring in diversity with respect to ethnic or racial diversity or gender diversity, we're going to do that at the exclusion of cognitive research diversity. Absolutely not. I think it's both ends. So I think I can understand what her intention was, mm -hmm. but I think it just wasn't delivered in the right way. Right. Because she has so much influence and so much power, I think what she really meant to say was that we need gender and racial and other forms of diversity as well as recognize that even people that look the same may not be identical to one another. But in this matter, because again, this is such a touchy topic, words can get, get, get very easily conflated. Yeah. Intentions don't match impact. Because the impact was a lot of harm. Right? A lot of people were hurt by those comments. Right. Even though those weren't her, that was not her intention at all. I would hope. <laughs> right. I, I'm sure they weren't. Um, and, but it, it resulted, it was this, yeah. you know, a pretty big scandal for Apple. So. Um, We've talked a little bit about diversity in this, and inclusion in the sense of race, of gender, and you even mentioned sexual orientation, and we talked a little bit about cognitive diversity. Are there other types of diversity and inclusion? And also, are there differences between these two words? We're talking about words and the importance of that, but are there other areas that um, maybe workforces aren't focusing enough on, or they're... You're, you're talking about it's not one or the other. Are there, are there areas of diversity and inclusion that are just kind of being left out of the conversation right now? 
Um, I will start with the first one, like what is the difference between diversity and inclusion? And I think that there isn't like a consensus around this, but in my opinion, what I really feel inclusion is what we're really trying to achieve in a lot of our workplaces, mm -hmm. which is to make everybody feel included, right? Regardless of what they look like, their background, their origins. Uh, and diversity is really about ensuring that different perspectives, different life, uh, different types of human experiences are reflected in a company. So if you think about, again, pre-civil rights, majority of businesses, majority of professional organizations looked a certain way, right? Mostly right. white European men or of European descent, of a certain age, of a certain class, of a certain educational background, right. all mm -hmm. of the above, right? So diversity is, can we reflect America, for example, staying in America, you know, mm -hmm. within our corporation, right? The cross-section of humanity that exists here. Right. Or in a global context, can we reflect the cross-section of our humanity from across the globe within our company? And that's the goal that a lot of people have. But not just reflecting it, but then also wanting to make them feel included. I love that definition. I've, I've talked a little bit to people about that, about those two words. They're just always pushed together and it's D&I and I love that I'm stealing that. That's great. I'll give you and be more credit there. But um, I think that's like a perfect, um, a perfect way to think about that of how the, those two play together. So, so that was the first question I, I threw at you yeah. out of that laundry list. So, other areas of diversity that companies should be thinking about. Our goal is to unleash human potential. Okay. Right mm -hmm. by eradicating bias. So I feel like what bias is is a separation, mm -hmm. sense of othering, sense of us versus them. So right. what we're trying to do is transcend that. So whether it's so I feel like all these boxes we create are so limiting. Because yeah. once we remove, when we understand how the box is created, you know, we will accomplish the DNI goals easily. But also the other forms of diversity, whether it's geographic diversity or linguistic, those things won't matter. Right. Because we won't be assuming things about people. Just because someone is in a wheelchair doesn't mean he can't be an engineer. Or just because someone is can't visually see doesn't mean she can't write the most incredible poetry in the world or be a creative director. We won't assume things about people. And that's what we're really trying to do. So instead of creating more categories, because, you know, that's the tendency. We want to come as human beings. And this isn't like, again, this isn't shame, blame, guilt. It's really how we're wired. As, as human beings, we're animals, so we're wired to feel like we're small, particularly when there's trauma. And, you know, bias is a form of trauma that a lot of human beings carry with them. These are experiences that really hurt emotionally. So our goal is to really open a container around this and create a container that's shame-free and fun so these issues can be explored, but then we can take action to create measurable results because we can actually measure bias and then also hack it. Yeah, so to continue off of that point, what are some of the tangible results that you've seen out of the work that Vmore does? So you know, why? Why should a company care about this? Like what are, if, if you're talking to very, let's say, analytical people and they wanna know that there's gonna be something at the end of the end of the line other than saying my staff is more diverse, they want more than just those words. Um, have you seen like hard results from totally. the work that you're doing? So what are some of those? It's basically our, our value proposition, which right. is to save more lives, reduce wasted costs, and improve top-line performance. 
So I'll talk about the third one because we haven't really got into that. Mm -hmm. Top line performance, you know, again, it's a very technical term, but it's really about how we interact with our teams. So a lot of our teams, particularly in the corporate sector, are now diverse, particularly when it comes to gender identity. So the associations I may have about someone based on their perceived gender, maybe that, oh, they're not good at math, or, you know, they're too emotional, they're too nurturing, without actually testing those vulnerabilities. So when that bias is gone, first of all, teams have a shared understanding around what the root cause of the bias is, what, the, what its anatomy is, and how it may come up. They have a safe container to then talk about it in a shame-free and fun way. If something happens, people aren't like holding it in and repressing it, but actually openly talking about it, which builds community, which builds teams, but in, which enables collaboration. And that, of course, translates into better team performance, mm -hmm. top-line performance, right? Teaming, teams trusting one another more, they're able to communicate one another with one another more, and then being able to do the work, whether it's in a healthcare setting, whether it's a legal setting, um, or in the education setting. It doesn't matter what industry you're working, but it's all about kind of building that human connection and taking bias out of it. Right. So um, yeah, I, that that just it like makes so set. It makes so much sense when it's, you say it of how this is not rocket science. <laughs> Hacking bias is pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound easy, but I, it seems so. It, it's so it, well, one, it's so important, right. and um, and I like that it's not complicated. Right. You know that makes it um, more attainable and right. something that we should all be focused on. Um, so, so what's one thing that our listeners can do uh, tomorrow to increase their inclusiveness at their workplace, um, regardless of the level that they're at or their specific job function? Well, first of all, check us out. We're at bemoreamerica, bemoreamerica.org. Just kidding. Um, so kidding. I'm going to do a quick exercise. I'd love for everybody to just kind of play along with me right now. So when I say the word bias, Notice what words come up for you. Now notice what feelings come up. What are the feelings that come up in the body? The second I say bias, gender bias, religious bias. What are the feelings attached to it? So now begin to feel into the feelings. That's all we're going to do. This is the exercise. The vast majority of you probably felt a sense of unease sense of hopelessness, disappointment, whatever it is, negative emotion. And the response is flight. I'm going to run away from it. But it's just an emotion. Can we play with it? Right? And that's what I, this is the work of Hacking Bias. It's to actually begin to understand the discomfort. And simple as that. Starting there, acknowledging the discomfort, that this is uncomfortable. Right? So it's what I call, it's an acronym called RAIN. So really recognizing it and then acknowledging that this is uncomfortable. Label it uncomfortable. I investigate. Now you have your own reason. This is where individualized experience is so important. Investigate what that discomfort is about. Is there a story attached to it? Is it a former experience? Is it something that your parents said, or your teacher said, or your minister said, or your colleague said? What is that about? Just investigate. Just you know, investigate what it is, and then not attach. Let it go. Let it go. That's it. Awesome. So great. We're done. We just all hacked um, our biases, and yeah. 
<laughs> um, no, but that's a, a great exercise. I, I love being able to you know, leave our listeners with something totally. that they can do. And that thing that they can do is start with themselves. Um, and we'll, we'll make sure to um, post in the description of this podcast. Um, so, so hopefully you guys follow up with that and, um, and then share that exercise too. I'd encourage everyone to do that. That's, it's so thought provoking and takes, you know, 10 minutes of your time to start thinking and, and having, totally. just starting the conversation. Do it right? on the subway, do it while you're walking. We're always lost in thought anyway. Right. So just <laughs> think about bias. Like what is the discomfort? Think about yourself as a scientist. And, you know, I love what you said, you know, we are the change we're seeking in the world. So it really starts with us. Right. So we oftentimes think that we need to change other things, but we can only change other things if we change ourselves. And so oftentimes we are the hardest thing to change. Um, yes. But, you know, yeah. and so that's where our work is about. One other thing, I remember I mentioned I was going to give you two examples in the beginning. Some listeners are probably, as anal listeners like me, will be like, what is the second example? <laughs> so I'm just going to give you that other example. because oh, it's full circle. I love it. Yeah. Yes. Back to the beginning. Um, which is in the legal industry, which is really how okay. I started the work. Uh, I was working in the court system in New Orleans, and I was just there in the court, and I just saw one defendant after another who happened to be a 15 or 16-year-old child, boy, being sentenced to death, sentenced to prison, not death, for breaking cell phones, like really, really <laughs> tiny infractions. And I was like, what is going on? One after another. And I remember I was so annoyed and I was gasping that this, one of the guards of the court had to come up to me and be like, you're disturbing the peace of the courtroom. We're gonna have to ask you to leave. Mm. But I felt a gut reaction. Now, for me also, the judge, the prosecutor, the individual report, I was working with them, they were all really good people, right? right? At least the ones that I met. Right, yeah, so there was this disconnect was that you disconnect. were saying. You know, they left their families, they left their profession, they were upholding the law. So I was like, what's going on here? Hmm. And the disparities didn't really match the infraction, right. the sentence at all. So this is where unconscious bias really comes in. Right. right. What is the, na- the nature of stereotyping? What is the nature of looking at a young African-American male, right? Not just male, male child right. who happens to be from a poor background. What are the associations attached to that? And how can we dispose of that life so easily? Mm. Right? These are really deeply, deeply kind of questions of morality that I was wrestling with. And that's kind of pervasive in our society. And because we haven't really targeted this, we have a country that is the largest incarcerator of people in the world. Right? right, yeah. So it's because of that. So for me, it's like, yes, that's debilitating and disheartening on the one hand, but it's also, it just starts with unconscious bias, right? It's like simple. And yeah. based on the science, we can hack unconscious bias within eight weeks. Wow. Daily practices of practice that I shared with you similar practices for 10 to 15 minutes every day. We can hack it at the individual level. So once we've done that for ourselves, we can work with our colleagues within our right. you know, companies, within our industries, to then begin to think about how do we transform our industries and our companies to really unleash our full potential. We're living at like the 10% of what we're able to do as human beings. Yeah, yes. And, and, and going back again, I feel like I can't say this enough, that this is such a an attainable place to start and not running away from your fear. I want to just say that again, that I think that was a great point. Um, if it makes you uncomfortable, don't, 
don't run, but stay and face it and, and start thinking about why. And um, yeah, imagine if all of those judges and, and lawyers did that. And, and it's great that now you're working with um, those individuals. So um, yeah, all the lawyers out there that are listening, I wonder if there are any. <laughs> yeah, talk, start, start um, you know, thinking about all of this. It's it's great. Um, or so, take our courses. Yeah, yes. And go to BeMoreAmerica.org. <laughs> um, so we're almost at time, but before we leave, um, I really want to pick your brain about um, kind of unrelated to Be More, or I don't know, maybe it will be related. We have some quick fire questions that we like it. to ask I our, our podcast guests. So, um, drum roll. What is your favorite book? The Glass Palace by Amitav Ghosh. It's a beautiful book about, it's very Hemingway-esque, mm. but it takes place in the Asia frontier. Oh. So beautiful, what would you, oh, so beautiful. Okay, good. I have to add that to my, my list. Um, what is, what, oh, sorry, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets me out of bed in the morning? Yes. The fact that I am pursuing my life's passion. Awesome. And then when you do get out of bed, what's the first thing that you do in the morning? I meditate. Awesome. And I believe that because I want to share this with our listeners. Um, Anu had us do a little meditation before we started the podcast, which I think put us in an amazing headspace. And um, I think we should do more before before um, our podcast recordings and before meetings and mindfulness is just so important. And, uh. Oh, that could be a whole other podcast episode. It should be. It will be. I'm saying it right now. Hold me accountable. <laughs> Please, yeah. Happy to talk about mindfulness all the time. Yes. So it's meditation. Yeah, and um, that was actually our, our first episode. We sat down with Nell, who's the founder of Inspiring Capital, and she said the same thing. So I don't think it's a coincidence to founder CEOs both start their mornings the same way. Um, and the last question that I'd love to ask is, what is one thing that our audience can do today to live a more impactful life? Such a beautiful question. I feel like by living, you are already living an impactful life because as conscious mm -hmm. beings, we are already doing so much, so much, you know, in our world, there's so much going on. Um, but what I would say is, I would modify the question to really ask, what are your deepest values, right? What are your top three values that you live for, right? For me, it's really truth and compassion and presence. So what are those values? And just reflecting upon how those values match up to your day-to-day -day life, whether it's personal or professional. And if it isn't, then see where your priorities are misaligning. Well, a beautiful answer to a beautiful question. Thank you so much. Um, so I think that's the perfect way to wrap up. And again, I'd like to thank you so much, um, Anu Gupta who joined us today, our founder, the founder and CEO of Be More. Um, so thank you, Anu, for diving so thoughtfully into the struggle with me. And I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. And uh, make sure that you're subscribed and you rate our show. And if you want more information about getting involved with the podcast, you can visit inspiringcapital.ly backslash podcast. And signing off, this is Bernadette Hopin. And until next time, stay inspired.